0: Thank you for listening to Soho Bites the only podcast in the world as far as we're aware dedicated to talking about films set in Soho the beating heart of bohemian cosmopolitan London If you would like to support the show you can do this in the form of a star rating or review at sohobitespodcast.com forward slash review or if you'd like to put a small amount of money where your mouth is You can do that at sohobitespodcast.com forward slash donate. Donations can be from as little as £3, which will buy at London prices about half a drink for one of our thirsty guests. You may hear some different URLs in the upcoming episode, but by far the easiest way is to follow one of those links. They are, again, sohobitespodcast.com forward slash review and sohobitespodcast.com forward slash donate. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to episode five of Soho Bites, a Soho on screen podcast. My name is Jing An Young. I'm a writer and researcher into the depiction of Soho, the beating heart of cosmopolitan bohemian London in British films. in the 1950s there existed, for a short time at least, a football team called Soho Rangers. The manager of Soho Rangers was Albert Dimes, a well-known and feared gang member. The team was largely made up of local traps, including the great train robber Tommy Wisby, Mad Frankie Frazier and Eddie Richardson. We're not sure how many games they played, but it would have been a brave team who went up against Soho Rangers and played to win. The association of Soho with the world of sport is not one that's made very often, so all the more reason to bring you this special sport-themed episode of Soho Bites. First up, we spent an afternoon at a cricket match. It wasn't exactly in Soho, in fact it was 47 miles from Wardour Street, but there's a very strong Soho connection. Our film chat this week is a bit closer to home, recorded live on stage at the Regent Street Cinema as part of the Soho Agogo Film Festival. Stick around to the second half of the show to hear friends Aidan McManus and Melanie Williams chat to producer Dom about Rattle of a Simple Man. (laughs) Apart from a couple of ping pong tables in Soho Square, not much live sport takes place in Soho. This is why Soho's very own cricket team, the Soho Cricket Collective, plays all of its matches as a visiting team at other people's grounds. The Collective has been running as a team for over a decade, and is made up of keen amateur cricketers drawn mostly from the film and media industry that have their homes here. A Love of the Game is pretty much the only requirement to bag a place on Soho's only cricket team, and as long as you know which end of the bat to hold and are an all-round good egg, you might be in with a chance. One August day, producer Dom ventured out of London and headed deep into the English countryside and met up with a couple of the cheery band of comrades from the Soho Cricket Collective.
0: A breeze in the trees, the thwack of willow on leather, gentle applause, and a country fair in the background. These are not the sounds of Soho. These are the sounds of the countryside. These are the sounds. Cricket. I
2: know of no game more fitting than the age old game
3: of cricket. It has honour, it has character and is British.
0: We've stepped out of Soho for today and we've stepped out of London. If you can imagine such a thing. And we've come down to a village called Furl in Sussex, just outside Lewis. And we're here to follow the exploits. Of the Soho Cricket Collective.
4: I'm Comrade Commissar Premier Yuri, otherwise known as Yuri Padiz, and uh, also known by my real name, which is Phil. Ten years ago, I, I worked in Soho, lived in Soho, had a, a post-production and uh, film production company in Soho. Get that, Mildred. Mildred. Sorry, sorry, it's a busy office. Uh, and I, uh, I, one of my suppliers said, uh, do you play cricket? Why don't you raise a team and we'll play you? And this was an, a company called Quantel, this is ten years ago. So we hurriedly got together a collection of uh, media types who were uh, uh, vaguely interested in cricket and uh, got a team together and then uh, year on year we've built and developed and changed
5: so keep us
4: straight all time. the interesting thing i should talk about is the collective because it had the word collective in it i thought it sounded soviet and so then the whole soviet theme kind of took off i am holding out uh, our club logo which is a cricket ball uh three stumps in the form of a sickle and uh, and that's our Sort of Soviet angle, subversive. Some might say. Certainly, the way we bowl. Um, the, the the batting is quite subversive. I think. Do you know what I haven't seen from Dan? There's, I'm sat next to Dan, who's our most marvellous. Uh, what are you? Uh, hello.
2: I'm I'm a commissar. <laughs> um, to keep in within the Soviet theme, I'm Dan March, A.K.A. Soldier, A.K.A. Hatter, That's Hatsky. Hatsky. Um, anything with a kind of Russian-sounding word, I'll, I'll I'll respond to normally in the field. And I am a spin bowler. And Part-time batsman. Very part-time, because I'm not out there for long enough to be (laughs) full-time. And I've been with the team, I think this is my eighth season. I think I missed the first season. I'd been in a film that Phil had made when he was at film school. That's how far back we go. And then we met up again in Soho, and I was in the office. I was doing some voiceovers for you and various other things. And you said, "Do you, you like cricket, don't you? And I went, I love cricket. He said, well, I have this team. Soho Cricket Collective you're often in Soho that counts would you uh, like to yeah. join but that, and that's, that's how the collective
4: was formed we was sort of a, a collection used to be a collection of people who are all exclusively living or working in Soho and uh, now as, as needs must and uh, we all get old and have children you, you sort of push out towards the outskirts of London and uh, that's where I am
0: now how does it work then you, you just have a, a list of email addresses to so who fancies the game and then and pitch up
4: Yes, we have a a very active Facebook group and a WhatsApp group and that sort of tends to keep us all together. We have the blog. Everyone knows about the blog.
2: And there's a core membership as well. We all pay our membership fees. Well, most of us, of which half goes to charity, which is, you know, very nice. And we become friends as well. I think that's the joyous thing that it's been friends and friends of friends who've kind of joined, but we've all bonded and become a a really strong group and a unit that often go out and... We have annual cricket drinks and an awards ceremony. Mm. Uh, Ah, I've seen that on the website, actually. Or,
0: or, I think it was Facebook, I saw an awards ceremony. So you saw the trophy? The trophy. uh, Now,
2: the the story of the trophy is I was...
4: (laughs) You tell it, Dad. Why don't
2: you? I I, I was helping a friend of mine move, and in his back garden, of this house, he bought this house from an elderly (laughs) Russian lady, and um, in the back garden, tossed on the trash, was this old, beaten metal object. I thought, what's that? and it was a giant samovar urn, right? And he said, oh, I'm gonna get rid of that. I went, can I have it? Can I have it? I think I know a good home for that. And I brought it into you and I said, what do you think you can do with that? <laughs> I can stick it onto something. <laughs> We well, got it all polished up. You got it all polished <laughs> and shiny, yeah. and stuck it on a, a stand, and it's now our annual massive, probably the biggest trophy in sport now.
0: <laughs> and who do you award it to? Are you a, a player within the team, or, yes, or not? Year? Not another, not another club.
4: It goes, it goes to the comrades' comrade. Mm. So the the paid-up comrades of the year. Uh, vote for their favourite comrade of the year so not it's not nothing... on sporting ability yeah, it's not on
2: wickets taken or, or runs scored because those are different separate awards this is all on the comrade's comrade who's been the most comradely who's helped the most who's been the you know it, the epitome of a team spirited collective Russian joyous <laughs> cricketing wonderful human are you, being are you glad
4: you started this you? <laughs> this is
0: because <laughs> I, I, I did a little bit of sniffing around on the website and the Facebook group and Twitter and everything I hadn't picked up any of the uh, subversive communist stuff, uh, uh, only only the name, so it's a, it well, seems we, to be quite a, a thing.
4: We're a brand of communists uh, who, who used to have, all have their own businesses and large cars and fast, fast houses and large cars. Do
2: right mean, um, that? Um, as an actor, I'm not part of that group.
4: Uh, do you have a, a fast no. house? As well? mm, large um, fast no, cars. very slow. <laughs> very slow. Uh, slow down.
2: I'm, I'm munching away on uh, match tea, by the way. That's why I'm yes. slightly- um, It looks delicious, the match is. tea. Uh, uh, I've just had a lovely cheese and pickle. A very underrated
4: sandwich, the cheese and pickle. It's match
2: tea, it's cricket. it's cricket. We're playing a match here. And did they have an egg,
4: an egg salad sandwich. They did. I, I avoided that. Oh, I know. I love egg salad sandwich. You know, in cricket, tea egg salad sandwiches, is everything.
0: Can I, we talk about this match in particular? It's and an, then, an
4: annual fixture. We're we're at the lovely Furl, uh, nestling beneath the South Downs, on a on what would have been a lovely August day, which is sort of very windy and overcast.
0: And the team are called the Exiles. That's it? right. They're
4: Brighton Exiles, people who have left London. They too were uh, in London. Uh, Dave Hooper, in particular, who's the founder of the Exiles, he was a London. A London sort. He's a film distributor, I believe. Mm. Well, now, that was I'm now eating like a small
2: reason. pork pie. Just to let you know. Mm. It's also equally delicious. Fill your mouth mm. with pork down, so this match. It. This match is tantalisingly poised at the halfway mark. A 35-over a side game. They've scored 160 runs. I took two wickets. I don't like to blow my own trumpet. Only four overs and two wickets. That's not bad, is it? Um, <laughs> keeping my wicket taking. Matches game this season I've had. Anyway, oh, no, I won't go on. I won't go on. Three for thirty-three, three, three for thirty-seven, please, one for thirty-seven. Please, please. Um, anyway, no, I won't go on. Um, but I've had a good um. season so far. I'm, not, you know, I'm not touting for awards at the end, but uh, <laughs> no. And Phil bowled really well as well. Oh, did a beautiful oh, no. wicket, didn't you? Bowled a beautiful wicket.
0: So 160 is that? That's that's a reasonably tough target, isn't it, for 35 yeah. overs? It was looking quite good for you until that tall, rangy fellow at the end yeah, okay. oh, hit a few just, fours. Yes. He was
4: a uh, well. Yes. They're always going to save something for the back end. Yeah. Um, yeah. We always have something up the back end, don't
2: we, well, Dan? Well, uh, that's... that's <laughs> collectively... <laughs> Good thinking. Lord, are you stuck for words? Well, I'm stuck for my best. Oh,
4: sorry. <laughs> Next year is our 10th anniversary year, mm. so uh, I shall be stepping down as Premier. Um, and a new... A new
0: will you be laid March out in a mausoleum year. for about nine I years? I should probably fall
4: the... over and be laid out somewhere yeah. or other. Thousands of us
2: will be queuing up, uh, just putting old cricket balls on them. I'd like your old balls
4: all, all
3: over,
2: over you, me, you. that yeah. would be
4: lovely.
3: Really? I say now, that's
4: not cricket, it has a blatant hair, of rock. So we have a magnificent uh, uh, comrade who passed away a few years mm. back and...
2: Uh, One of the founding members. Founder member this indeed. Yourself.
4: The trophy is actually named the Kobramovich uh, t- uh, uh, Comrade, comrade yes. Award. Yes. Tim Cobra uh, Graham. Yes. And, uh, who was
2: a wonderful friend and wonderful player yes. and just an all-round, just a most incredible man. And sadly, a few years ago, we were playing a match, and he passed away playing cricket. During the, the game? During the game. I was there. It's how he would have wanted to go, really. Yeah, he, he loved cricket, and he loved the team, and so we dedicate that trophy to him.
4: And you may have witnessed um, one of Dan's bowls. I don't know if you did. Uh, and as he gave the hand gesture, we all
6: hissed. I raised my
2: hand in the air, and I sort of cupped, cupping the ball, and which was his distinctive style. And then everyone hissed in the memory of the Cobra. So I'll always i always deliver deliver one
4: ball
0: like that every match and uh... I'll mock it up though for the, for the... <laughs> Yeah, we, we can hear Slater coming yes yeah, we can we could can do that Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> all hail her great dominion here! all hail her sporting blood
0: the members of the team yes. it seems to be yeah, uh, mature, mature gentlemen.
4: Well, 24 to uh, 65. I think Jaunty is
2: now 65.
1: 65.
4: Yeah, we it, we even have some juniors very occasionally, not yeah. so much recently. We're mm. happy to though. We're happy to have women play, yeah. but yeah, um, we've had women play in the past. But, mm. And yeah.
0: all in the film media, those kind of, or, or is it uh, is it all very a bit now?
4: That was definitely the intention, and uh, we stick to it as best we can. Some mm. people have driven through Soho, which which counts. Some people or, dri- or driven even. Yeah, or even if they've heard the word Soho, <laughs> they will have. Uh, if they could acknowledge it, if they can spell it, uh, if they can say it, uh, or if they, or the Soho, or if they can think. smell London, sometimes that yeah. that qualifies. Uh, but we still have. I think there's a good old media influence in it oh, yeah. still. Yeah. And, um,
2: well, yeah, there's still a good core, a good meaty core of the Soho mm. collective, which is involved in the media, and, and, and yeah, I we're happy. We will accept everyone.
4: Yeah, we are totally open and um, uh, especially if you've got some cricketing skill but do you know what that's probably towards the bottom of uh, 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 of membership requirements
1: huge thanks to dan march and phil richardson for sharing their match tea with producer dom down in sussex and they mean what they say they really are open to welcoming new members to the collective If you fancy a game of cricket and would like to get involved with the Soho Cricket Collective, you'll find their contact details at the end of the show and in this episode's show notes.
0: Hello, this is what's known as a mid-roll ad. It's one of those annoying interruptions it's inserted retrospectively at just the wrong point. And the reason for it is that Soho Bites takes up hours of time every month, and I'm hoping you might be able to support the show. There are two ways you can do this. One is for free, and it's to leave the show a star rating or kind review. You can do that at sohobitespodcast.com forward slash review, or if you'd like to assist financially to help cover our costs, you can do that at sohobitespodcast.com forward slash donate thank you very much apologies for the interruption and back to the episode
1: in october we were very pleased to be involved in the soho agogo film festival a three-day event showcasing fascinating soho films and q and a's at the regent street cinema in london among the highlights was the films we featured in our last episode secrets of a windmill girl which was shown on the saturday night and followed by a Q&A with our guest from that same episode, Dr. Adrian Smith. On the Friday, I hosted a Q&A after the screening of The Shakedown, and on the final day of the festival, producer Dom spoke to two guests about Rattle of a Simple Man. This was the last film to be directed by the UK's most prolific female director, Muriel Box. She was one third of the triumvirate variety of boxes. Her husband, Sidney, was a screenwriter and producer, and together they forged a formidable 20-year professional partnership. Muriel's sister-in-law, Betty Box, was another powerful producer in her own right, whose unerring eye for a commercial hit earned her the nickname Betty Box Office. Rattle of a Simple Man is set over the course of one evening on FA Cup final day. After the match, a group of Mancunian football fans head off into Soho for a night of drinking. The clock is ticking, though, because their coach to Manchester leaves at midnight. Succumbing to peer pressure, one member of the group, shy and naive Percy Winthram, played by Harry H. Corbett, accepts a bet and as a result, ends up in the flat of a working girl. It becomes a life-changing few hours for him and not necessarily for reasons you might expect.
5: Percy from the oddball, the simple man, mother's boy, nobody's Romeo, trapped by the boys, a bet, and a woman.
2: I told you she were a lady. You can't be coarse with girls, Lila. You think you could do better? I'd have to have me brains tested
5: if I couldn't. You want a bet? Go on, Perse. You're on. right, June.
1: The stage play of the same name upon which the film was based starred Edward Woodward and Sheila Hancock and was a big hit. Sydney Box then secured the rights for the film at a record sum of £50,000 and it was adapted for the screen by the original writer Charles Dyer. On stage it was a two-hand and was set almost entirely in one location, but the movie expands the list of players and locations. We meet Percy's gang of rowdy but harmless football mates in various pubs and clubs in Soho and Victoria, a handful of beatniks and bohemians who populate the Camden house of working girl Seren's flat, and Seren even leaves Camden and visits her family from whom she is partially estranged. The film is difficult to categorize and wasn't a large success upon release, although Sidney did eventually recoup his outlay by the end of the 1960s. Is it one of those films that's underappreciated in its day but holds more appeal with the passing of time? And did the audience at the Regent Street Cinema appreciate it? After the screening of Rattle of a Simple Man, producer Dom chatted on stage with Dr. Melanie Williams from the University of East Anglia, who is a specialist in post-war British cinema and with the curator of the Soho GoGo season and the owner of this first voice, Aidan McManus.
6: So we've got uh, Melanie Williams with us and Dom DeLarge who are gonna, from Soho Bites uh, film podcast. You're the That's one to right. introduce me to this film.
0: Um, I am, aren't I? Yeah. yeah. I interviewed Aidan for um, the podcast. <laughs> and um, there was this one Windmill Girl, yeah. a couple more, wasn't there? And Cover Girl Killer,
6: where Harry H. Corbett is a crazed Cover Girl Killer. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, explains the title. Yeah. <laughs> you put me on to quite a few of these films. So this is why we're showing this today. So. Uh, why do you, like, you know, why do you like this film uh, so before, much?
0: Just before we start, I just need Go to do a disclaimer uh, which has been recorded for, for the Soho Bites podcast. So if you don't want to be on the podcast and recorded, don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> I am, so that's me legally covered now. Sorry, why do I like the film? Um, <laughs> it's not the greatest film of all time. Uh, I watched it recently and liked it more than I thought I did. You yeah. what I, mean. I, too, am a. A lonely northerner adrift. No, in the big city. <laughs> it's the kind of. It's a period piece. It's kind of. A, we were talking outside in the bar. Um, Melanie's got lots of information about the um, the trouble they had with the BBFC, and it's at, on that cusp of a time where, what's his name, John Trevelyan. Yeah. he was trying to open up and try and allow films to be a little bit more. Uh, if it was art, you would get away with more stuff. But on this yeah. film, it seems to be a bit stricter. Lots of the stuff that he wanted taken out was the sort of stuff that would have been allowed in other films if it was more artistic. Right.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, looking at the, the BBFC reports, it's quite, it seems to reveal more about the BBFC reviewers than it does the film, because there's lots of uh, kind of relish about... We mustn't see the, the whip that she dances with used too salaciously, and when there mustn't be any suggestion that she's taken her knickers off and don't do close-ups on her leather boots and don't show her wearing suspenders. And in the end, the report itself ends up being much more salacious than the film ever had any intention to be. Um, So I think that idea of it being like a film that's on the cusp, really, it's... It's sort of around the same time as those uh, British New Wave films. So, in the wake yeah, 64, of...
6: 64, yeah. Yeah, Room at the Top's 64. come
3: in. And um, you've had things like Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. and But interestingly, it's sort of just ahead of the trend for swinging London. Right. So, that thing of people... After Billy Lyre and Tom Courtney deciding not to come down from yeah. the north to London, then you get lots of films where people do make the journey yeah. south. But it does so look—it
6: looks very 50s. And then you've got the scene, the party downstairs. Some of the girls got sort of ready, steady, go haircuts, and you know what I mean. So it is sort of just where the—you know—it's—it's it's made. It was came out 64, so it's maybe probably made 63. So that's sort of like Sammy Lee as well. Sammy Lee looks really fifties. So this is it is just when yeah, where that sort, yeah, sort edge. of. The, but you're talking about um, them complaining about suspenders and that. Surely Espresso Bongo, you know the scenes in that. Yeah, you know, we well, that talking totally about Espresso been Bongo. Done, yeah. that man. was like four mm. or
0: five years before. Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. So that had already been shown on the yeah. screen. So why were they so worried about this? Because it was a bit. It was about prostitution and. There's
3: uh, there's definitely some anxiety about yeah. about that, and often the 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 BBFC rulings can be quite inconsistent, so some films will get away with more than others. Um, and it's it's interesting as well, um, Diane Shilento had just been Oscar nominated for her appearance in Tom Jones.
6: Right, yeah, and yeah. And Tom
3: Jones gets away with a lot more um, in terms of being a sort of sex comedy because it is a period drama as well so it can kind of you know get away with it because it's a literary adaptation yeah and, right yeah, and it's yeah. really interesting that at the beginning of this film when they're walking through Soho you oh, see, the, Tom see, see Tom yeah, Jones right. yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, that's yeah. The, the film she's well, in well
6: she was sort of known as well as being um, a bit of a feminist and there's a lot of themes in that like you know like her dad you find out her dad's molested her and and him judging her morally when, you know, he's a bit suspect as well. So, you know, there's a lot of that in it as well, which is which at the time probably wasn't discussed that much, you know?
3: No, no, I, I think it's it's interesting. Diane Chilento had worked a couple of times before with the director, Muriel Box, who herself was a kind of staunch feminist. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of those themes are, are kind of coming through via... Muriel Box's uh, kind of particular set of interests, even back when she's making films like Good Time Girl in the 40s. Yeah, that's a
6: good film, like you that You know, they're, well, they're
3: like delinquents, but we understand why these why, young yeah, women it's just behave this progression. the way they do. Yeah,
6: yeah, and it's sort of showing, you know, uh, showing a, a prostitute to be human, which before in films they were sort of, you know, just portrayed one way, They were just one-dimensional. Mm. Whereas this is sort of a three-dimensional person, you know, with family, you know, and she's had a hard life and she's created this fantasy world for herself, which he has as well, but it's it's acceptable for him, but it's not for her. Yeah, one of the
0: BBFC stipulations was that it should be made clear that there should be no suggestions of actual incest in the family. (laughs) So between her and the brothers, and, and it has to be made clear that the father is her stepfather Right. But I didn't pick that up. No, uh, I don't think I wasn't it was clear in the film. Um,
6: but apparently so so uh, they're saying, uh, uh, you know, your proper dad wouldn't, wouldn't do That's it. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. But it's not <laughs> but as it's bad. Because stepfather, yeah, yeah. is not then as bad. Kind of, it's yeah. all, all right, then. there you go. Mm. <laughs> and at the same time, Harry H. Corbett was in Steptoe.
0: Yeah. He was doing Steptoe at the same he time. He was very famous. He was yeah. instantly famous. And there's this idea that Harry H. Corbett was... Uh, you know, this kind of, this, this yeah, tragic yeah. guy who wanted a career on stage but couldn't have one. He was just, he was just um, Steptoe, because he'd been tackled by Steptoe. And actually, I don't think it's quite like that. I think he was, he, I mean, he had been a brilliant, a, a very well-known actor, uh, and he was called the actor's actor. And he's very well regarded. And it wasn't so much that people thought that he couldn't play anything but Steptoe. It was that he became so massively famous straight away, he couldn't then go back to the stage, because he'd be... Not the sort of... Th- he was working with John Greenwood. John Littlewood, sorry. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And that kind of works. You can't do that once you've been a mega-famous star, you know. He'd have to go do West End, and which wasn't the work he was interested in.
6: Yeah, he was in things like Sparrows Can't Sing and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And Yeah, but he just got typecast cast, basically, as yeah. a stetto.
0: And, and that, the Bar G, which is... Yeah, yeah. I th- his, his films terrible.
3: are interesting because there's they're someone trying to, you know, break, sort of break away from type or do things that are not obviously like Steptoe Mm. but I think in this film he's still playing someone who's a a bit of a loser, a bit of someone who's trapped by their home environment. So there's, ev- even though they're different characters, in a way, there is that kind of yeah, stepped connection. Again, isn't it? Yeah, step-time
6: again, it? Yeah. Instead of the, the dad, it's the mum this time, yeah. do you yeah. know what Thor I mean? Yeah, Thora
3: Heard. Yeah, yeah. can well, Yeah,
6: yeah Thora Heard could be the female Wilfred Bramble, really, <laughs> couldn't she, do you know what I mean? There's a
0: scene, I don't know if you noticed, um, you know when they first go back to the house? Yeah. Um, and he's making his way up the stairs and there's all these kind of oddballs in, in that London. Yeah. There's, um, there's an old fella on the top of the stairs sitting down crying. Yeah. Is that Wilfred Bramble? <laughs> is it? I don't know. No, I don't know. Do anybody... Because uh, I, I, I watched it again yeah, today yeah. and I thought, really? And he's not in the credits. His face is partially covered as well by a hat. Yeah, it's possible. So so is to he to not WhatsApp. off
3: being busy with the Beatles at that point?
6: So oh, he could have been, yeah. That was 64. So that was no, yeah. summer 64 was Hard Day's Night, so... Mm. Probably not. It's prob- this is probably pre-Hard Day's Night. Mm. Harry H. Corbett sort of got stuck, didn't he? In,
0: uh... Yeah, I mean, he did He did Carry On Screaming. That's a yeah, great film. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. I don't know, but he didn't do much. I absolutely love Steptoe Son. I think it's a work of genius. Yeah. And where do you go after that, you know?
6: He must have made a few quid, though, because when I was a kid, he, we used to hang around outside Paul McCartney's house. He lived over the road <laughs> in the same street as Paul McCartney. And these houses, if you go up there now, they're not... You not know, cheap. they're not council, so <laughs> he, he must have made a few quid.
3: Well, you were saying some interesting things earlier on about his, um, his accent. yeah. Oh, yeah. His, his Manchester accent.
0: When I first saw the film, I wasn't aware that Harry H Corbett was a Mancunian. Yeah. And I just thought, that is the worst Manchester accent I've <laughs> ever heard in my life.
5: You have quite a nice figure, quite
2: nice hair too. I'm glad you like it. Yes, well... Thanks for the glass of water and the aspirin. It was very nice of you. As a matter of fact, I think you must be a very nice person. Underneath it all?
6: Yes. No! I really mean that. I've never talked with anyone as interesting as you. You see, you don't often meet girls who are original.
2: You certainly are. I don't. I
0: think I've ever had such an interesting night. Never. And it's a kind of this generalised northern thing that they do in Corrie sometimes, a little bit of Hull, a little bit of Liverpool, a little bit of Yorkshire. Yeah. But then I discovered that he actually was brought up in Manchester. On a council estate as well, apparently. Yeah, a couple of council estates. And I read this quote, this is from his, um, the biography written of him by his daughter. Um, and he says, there are varying accents around Manchester. There isn't a Manchester accent. I tried to get this certain accent which comes from a certain area which is emasculated back in the throat almost a feminine type of accent which would have suited Percy uh, Now I see from a dialect point of view. I ought to have kept it away from that, but I failed miserably So he was very unhappy with his performance and very unhappy with his accent
6: So he's, he's the Dick Van Dyke of
0: Manchester. Yeah, exactly Yeah, and but, but Dick Van Dyke <laughs> had an excuse. He's not from London, you know <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but he's, the accent is appalling. What about Michael Medwins better? Really? Actually, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Any Mancunians? Yeah. yeah. Better actor yeah. than them. Is <laughs> that
6: the... We're getting that, yeah? Yeah, definitely. It was voting for Michael Medwin this two of you then, yeah? So, if <laughs> yeah. you want a Manchester, i have got to go with you. you know, yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. Man. Yeah. It's,
3: um, it's interesting as well that Charles Dyer, who writes the play, and when they're marketing the film, it's very much a film based on a big hit play. So, yeah. so it's a big success. Um, Charles Dyer is in the film as well, appears as one of, um, one of Percy's... his chalky. ..his squad. Um, yeah, one of the chums. So oh, is was that the drunk
6: one? Is that him? Is he ch- yeah, yeah, oh, he wrote the play? Oh, he wrote the play, oh, right. wrote the play cool. as well. Who was in the play originally then? Edward Woodward and yeah. Sheila
0: Hancock. Oh,
6: yeah. ah, yeah, right, OK. Yeah,
0: You yeah. saw it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sidney Box paid 50 grand for the rights which is yeah. a large amount of money. So Charles Dyer, ch 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 yeah. he, he must have made more... He must have been 50 def- grand was a lot of money in those days as yeah. well, wasn't it? It's you a could lot have bought back 10 now. houses.
6: Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you could. A house was like 1500 quid or two grand in those days. Yeah. You know what I mean? You mm. could be like Robbie Fowler. But yeah. he, um,
3: he still carried on, uh, as well as writing other plays. He writes another play called um, Staircase, which is about a gay couple, and that's made into a film with Rex Harrison and Richard Burton a couple of years later on. But he's also still acting. Um, if anyone's seen The Knack and How to Get It, there's a scene yeah, yeah, yeah. at the beginning where Rita Tushingham's, uh waiting to get her picture taken in a photo booth and there's a couple doing something a bit salacious in the photo booth while she's waiting. 60. And Charles Dyer is the, is the guy in that couple. So he's still appearing in films as well as writing plays and um, appearing on television as well as, as a, an actor. Yeah. A
6: mural box. I think that was her last film as well, wasn't it? And she started writing after this because well, she's she was just... writing
0: before, wasn't she? She's yeah, like,
6: that's yeah. what she was. She yeah. didn't do any films because she just wasn't getting any work. And yeah. Do you think that's because she was had these sort of? feminist themes which people you know, like you said, it seems like the censors were being over picky about this when they'd let stuff like this slide before. Maybe it's because it's about a brass taking on a naive northerner or they didn't want to promote that or something but do you think there was anything to do with the the feminist angle as well?
3: We we were sort of talking about Muriel Box's career and and why it stops when it does and why this is her last film and it's a sort of mixture of things really her relationship with Sydney Box breaks down and Sydney Box as a producer had been really uh, provided a space for her to be a director when mostly in the industry there was great antipathy towards women directing. They weren't seen as um, kind of suitable to direct. So there were very few women able to direct films and and Muriel Box is given that space partly because of kind of Sydney's largesse, really. Um, So that relationship breaks up. And I think also things are changing in the film industry, also in the television industry. And so her interests seem to be elsewhere, so she sets up a, a kind of feminist press, becomes much more interested oh, yeah. in publishing,
6: publishing yeah, 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 um, right, and kind yeah. of
3: political activity more.
6: Um, Alright, we got any questions? Anyone got any questions?
0: Come on, round. Wait, you, wait, wait, wait for the, the, mic, wait, wait, for the mic so we get on the podcast. I <laughs> <laughs> um.
3: suggested I should discuss
5: this in the bar afterwards, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it at you. Go on. And it concerns the casting. I've often thought that pre- room at the top and its successors, casting of prostitutes, the word prostitute in this is never used, was unnecessarily, I think the word is prurient, and that to cast an English girl would not be considered in this area appropriate because the first British film to actually deal with prostitutes and called them that, was not Good Time Girl, which interestingly is of course directed by Muriel Boggs, but a film called The Flesh is Weak, in which specifically the leading prostitute is played by Millie Vitale, an Italian girl. And I can't think of, and perhaps you can, the first time an English actress played a fictional prostitute on the British screen. They were all. There's a challenge for you. Okay. There we go. Thank, thank you. Well, thank Sylvia you. Sims, in, uh, but that, of course, was a Hollywood picture, and the one before was a Hollywood yeah. picture. You're talking Betty Davis and Vivian Lee, and they're not British films. were Sims. Well, well, 10 times over who, of course, is Jewish, and which brings me uh, to Expresso Bongo, which has an all-Jewish cast. You know, I... They are still the outsiders. Well, English, English girls wouldn't do that, of course. Well, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> I mean, is this the last film to cast a, a person with a foreign name, effectively a foreigner, as, as a hooker on the wrong side of the tracks?
6: Yeah, that's interesting.
5: Mm, that it's something that only occurred to interesting... me while watching this. In Expresso Bongo, it doesn't...
0: I'm going to get my films mixed up. Does Hermione Baddeley play a... <laughs> Prostitute in... them. Um... Yeah, but it's not a leading role. It's no, a very it's small walk on nothing
5: <laughs> there's, part. Um, there's
3: Passport to Shame, which has Diana Dawes playing. odile
5: Versois, I would great. point out, was the lead yes. in that. And again, a foreign yes. lady.
3: I, th- I think that's right.
5: It was not. It's not seemly for an Anglican Christian English girl to play a hooker.
3: Well, I'm reminded of that line that um, Oliver Reed says in Castaway, what's wrong with a good old-fashioned English tart? <laughs> no you don't you don't really get that in the films I think I think In you're film right. terms
5: Castaway is 150 years after yeah. this. But yeah but
3: that idea that you know sex is foreign and foreignness is sex In English,
5: English films so only though
3: strongly associated. Yeah. No definitely. Interestingly um Jean was really keen to play the role that Simone Signoret ended up playing in Room at the Top and of course in the original novel by John Brain the character is not uh, French, she's, she's English. Mm. But we get some insigniae <laughs> imported. And I think it's, it's not really until we get into the swinging 60s that you start to be a, an, a British woman who's allowed to be kind of sexualized in quite the same yeah. way. D- Diana Dawes, I think, is a separate case, as she always is.
5: Yeah. Does
6: anyone else got any questions?
5: It's really interesting about the mm. sort of the idea of uh, maleness. You know, there they were all downing these pints and then talking about, you know, the women, like, you know, the the guy who gets robbed. I mean, he really got his comeuppance, didn't he? I mean, that was fantastic. But in a way, way it was sort of innocent as well, you know? And also the scenes in the pub, it was
3: mostly male. Mm. There were hardly any women in the pub
0: they're the
6: other days yeah, yeah. that's probably a public bar then wasn't it
3: <laughs> <laughs> i suppose it's a film that's interesting on sort of male bravado yeah, i mean that idea of you know bragging about this and betting about that and then actually when this person is in a different situation their complete insecurity and their, their novice virginal status is is revealed um and, uh, and it's it's all about that that character's kind of like insecurities really being unravelled as as and the Dianne film goes
5: on. Salento was fantastic when she was saying how it was going to turn out, how he was going to be bragging, you know, when he got back to his mates, you know. Yeah. That was fantastic. I thought.
0: Although well, he didn't, of course.
6: He no, gave him the motorbike. No, well, you knew he was going to do that as well, you know. He, there ain't any bragging in him, is there? He's, no, no. Yeah, you know, if anything, he's he's pretty honest. You know, he might be a, a bit sort of you think, oh, he's a bit of a drip or whatever, but he is honest. Uh, And uh, out of all the people in that film, he's the honest one. Everyone else is, even even Diane Chilento's fanny to a certain extent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm. All of them are. Anyone
0: else? No? All
6: right. I think that's it then. (laughs) Have you got anything else to add, you two? Uh, I don't think so, no. No? So, well, thanks for coming. I like that film. It's a good film, isn't it? It's it's, a lot worse. it's, It's a seven. Ah,
0: huh? 6 yeah, yeah, or a yeah, 7. Yeah,
6: yeah but it is, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and it and some of the, the things he explores are interesting which is still relevant. I'm sure men are still talking bollocks about women <laughs> they've pulled to this no, day. I'm you know sure that I not mean? happen anymore. Yeah? And I'm yeah. sure no english rose would ever turn to prostitution whatever happened. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, look, thank you. Thanks for coming. Um Yax's got some books to sell in, uh, in the foyer. We've got Harrison Marks and uh, go chat to Yak Anyway, right, thank you. Cheers.
1: That was Melanie Williams and Aidan McManus chatting to our producer Dom. They were recorded live on stage at the Regent Street Cinema. Thanks very much to both of them for taking part. If you'd like to find out more about Melanie's research into British film, please do follow her at BritFilmMelanie. Aidan also has his fingers in many pies as presenter, curator and tour guide and tweets at McManus underscore Aidan. Our many thanks to the Regent Street Cinema for hosting us, particularly for the technical support from Dave and Edwin, and to Mike Regard, who gave up his Sunday evening in tooting to press buttons. And if you'd like to find out more about the Soho Cricket Collective, head to their website, sohocricketcollective.com, and you can also find them on Twitter at Soho Cricket Cole. Do you have a favourite Soho film? We'd love to hear from you if there's one you'd like featured on the podcast. You can email your suggestions at Sohobytespodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at Soho. You can also subscribe to us whenever you find your podcast for more Soho and film related chat every couple of weeks. It's been a great pleasure to relaunch the Soho Bytes podcast with producer Dom, but as a writer and researcher with numerous hats, I'll be taking a hiatus from this podcast. But if you'd like to keep updated with my Soho film research, do follow me at Soho on screen on Twitter and my next project, which explores the greatest cities in cinema, can be found at citiesincinema.co.uk. From me, Jing An-Yang, and my producer Dom Delagi, bye for now.